As we prepare to hear, hear more comeback stories today, I, I want to share with you a quotation from John Piper. And, and here's the way it goes. The life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but the godly do get there. You see, so often what we would like is, we would like life to look like a highway through Nebraska. I'm just straight, just flat, no ups and downs, just a, a straight line to glory. But the truth about life is that life looks more like traveling the Blue Ridge uh, Mountains, right? And it's, it's windy, and it's up and down, and it's scenic, and it's interesting, but it also can be very difficult. Why? Because here's the bad news about comebacks, is that comeback always implies setback. That's what inspires us about Doug Flutie's past. It was an amazing time in a great comeback. Or Winston Churchill coming about politically is because he went through such a terrible setback. And when we talk about our own comeback stories, it's because we have suffered through a setback. You know, when we think today and we focus on our mothers today, many of us have watched our mothers or know of their story and know of the, the setbacks they've endured through life. Uh, my mother actually was, was pregnant with me when my father died. Uh, and so he dies, she's pregnant with me, she's got three other boys, she's 26 years old with four boys. And, and I look back, because if you look at the last years of my mother's life, and the way she lived her last few decades, you would think, wow, she had such a, a perfect Southern American life. But when you knew her story, you know what she'd had to come back from. And you mothers, you, you struggle through this every day. I think about my own wife and, and raising four children and the, the challenge that is. And the challenge that has been. And, and just this week, I was reminded of that because I was uh, in New York visiting Ben and Lindsay. And Ben was out of town, so I was helping Lindsay with their three little ones. I, mean, I just sort of stand amazed. They're, they're in the middle of New York City in a 600-square-foot apartment with three children under three years of age, and just to watch her navigate stairs and subways and buses and weather, it was just amazing to me. And that's what some of you mothers do. You do every day. In fact, I saw a really cool statistic in USA Today this week. They say that 27, 27% of mothers admit they have left home with their clothes on wrong side out. So if you see any mothers today with their clothes on wrong side out, don't say a word to them. They're a mother, all right? They deserve the break. And so today we go to the book of Ruth, which is a great story about a godly mother named Naomi. Now, if you're studying your Bible, the book of Ruth comes right after the book of Judges. And it's there for a reason, because the book of Judges ends by saying that there was no king and everybody just did whatever they wanted to do. And we're, it's a, it's a, a wild scene. And in the middle of this is, is when the book of Ruth takes place. And not only is it sort of a wild scene, but it's also there's a famine that is broken out. But written through this is this lovely book we call the book of Ruth. When you get home today, you need to read the whole book. It won't take you but 10 minutes. But it's a beautiful book. I love this story. When Benjamin Franklin was our ambassador to France, he was a part of a group that met to read books together. It was literally called the Infidels Group. 
And, and so they would read books and they'd comment it. Well, one day Franklin pulls a, a trick on all these infidels. He rewrites the book of Ruth, but he and changes the name and he takes it to them and they all read it and they all exclaim, this may be the most beautiful short story we've ever read. And then Franklin basks in being able to say, did you recognize that stories in the Bible? And so today we go to this lovely story that is full of setbacks and comebacks. You see, what's happened is this woman named Naomi, the mother in our story, it's her and her husband Abimelech have moved to Moab, which is a surprising choice because the Moabites were God's people's arch enemies. They had not been good to them. They moved to Moabite to escape the famine, and they get there, and it's quite a story. If it was a fairy tale, we'd read it like this. Once upon a time in a land far away lived an older woman, Naomi, whose husband had died and whose two sons had also passed away, leaving her without children or grandchildren. In this land far away, Naomi came to her senses and decided her only recourse was to return to her homeland in shame. And she does. And let me just go tell you the story in a series of setbacks and comebacks. Setback number one is tragic loss. This woman loses both her husband and her sons. Her husband dies. Her sons do marry. They're, they're married for 10 years, and then they die. They have no children, then they die. Now, in our culture, Many of you talk about this. Some of you have experienced something you shouldn't experience, and that's the loss of a child. And then on top of that, this Naomi also loses her husband. Can you imagine her emotions? Well, you don't really have to imagine them. She tells it to you in chapter 1, verse 20. She says, don't call me Naomi. Now, why not? Because the word Naomi means pleasant, and her life is anything but pleasant. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi has lost her husband, her sons. She's become a bitter woman. And who can really blame her? And she's even bitter toward the God who at minimum let all of this happen. So that's the, the setback. But then we also see in chapter 1, comeback number 1. Because in the midst of this, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, gives her amazing, loyal love. She had two daughter-in-laws. One was named Ruth. And the other was named, uh, see if I can remember this real quickly, the other was named uh, Oprah, not Oprah, but Oprah. And um, so when she's about to leave, Naomi goes to them and she says, uh, you know, I'm about to leave and go back to my homeland, you know, bless you girls, you know, thanks for being married to my, my sons. But here's what happens, Ruth steps out and says, I'm going with you. And in one of the most beautiful Verses in all the Bible, uh, verses that we use on this stage for wedding ceremonies had nothing to do with husband and wife love. It had to do with the love between a 
daughter-in-law and their mother-in-law. We make a lot of jokes in our culture about mother-in-law. This is not a joke. This is beautiful. Listen to what Ruth says to Naomi. Verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. That's a beautiful, beautiful words. And so God provides for her in the middle of this, this, this grateful, wonderful daughter-in-law. But then we get to setback number two. They get back home, and, and they're in trouble. Understand, in this day, there were no government safety nets. You had nobody to take care of you. Know, there was no Social Security. There was no Obamacare. There wasn't even Trump care. I mean, there was just absolutely nothing. And so the only way you could be taken care of, the social safety net was that you could go to someone's field and you could, um, you could take in what they didn't harvest. you just get their leftovers. Or maybe you had a relative who was rich. Well, Naomi's husband had a, a cousin named... Boaz, who was quite wealthy, so she tells Ruth, you, you need to go, and the only way we're going to survive is if you go behind his harvesters and just get what's left over. Well, Boaz notices this woman, and she says, he begins to leave bushels for her and begins to take care of her. Well, it's a really, it's a really cool story. And so when Naomi hears how nice Boaz is being, she decides to kick in their social safety net, which was what we would call the, the family redeemer. In other words, if, if you were to die, the next of kin was to take you in and to marry you. Like if a, if a, a brother had a, a wife, if his the brother died, he were to take them in. I can remember years ago when we were living in Pensacola, we, we had this terrible hurricane coming straight toward our house. And so we packed up the kids, got our favorite pictures, and headed to Montgomery. And so we came to my folks' house out Vaughn Road, they lived in like a, a pecan grove. Well, the crazy thing is, the hurricane at the last moment bypassed Pensacola, and guess where it came? Straight up 65 to Montgomery. Hit this place like crazy. My, my, my folks had 60 pecan trees in their yard. That night, 40 of them fell, big pecan trees. So in the middle of the night, I decided to go out and check on it. So I'm about to walk out the back door, and so right before I walk out the back door, I turn to my brother Dane. I say, Dane, if I walk out here and a tree hits me and I die, You've got to marry Stephanie and take home my children. I cannot describe to you the look he gave me. I cannot describe to you the look Stephanie gave me, okay? But that's the way it was biblically. And so they think they've got this great deal. And so they're going to go, and this guy named Boaz is going to take care of them. And in one of the crazy, most explicit scenes in all the Bible, Naomi tells Ruth how to make a move on Boaz. I'll read it. In fact, here's what Naomi says to her daughter-in-law. I want you to go wash up, which is always a good thing before you go on a date. Take notes, all right? I want you to wash up. I want you to put perfume on. I want you to put your best clothes and pearls on. And I want you to go and let Boaz know you're interested. Now, here's how it goes. Chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and it was in good spirits... He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Sounds romantic to me. How about you? Ruth approached him quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. 
In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. And here's the line. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. What's going on? What's this spreading the garment? What she's saying is, I want you to spread yourself and your wings over me and take care of me as my husband. So isn't that crazy? Ruth proposes to Naomi. So if you're a serious dating relationship, you've got scriptural reason, women, to propose to that guy, okay? So that's what happens. She proposes. And, and, and guess what? Boaz is pretty excited. He likes the idea. But then there's one, there's this setback in that he's not the closest of kin. And he has no right to marry her because there's somebody else who has a right to her first. So Boaz has to go to the city gate, find this guy, interview him. At first the guy says yes because he thought it was just property. And then when he found out it also included Ruth, he said no. And so the comeback is the door is open and we got the family redeemer who comes and rescues the family. I always think about my dad when I read my stepdad that my mother married when I was a year and a half. I mean, he walked into a life of this woman, this widowed woman with four children, and rescued us. And that's exactly what Boaz did for her. But then there's setback number three. An old problem comes back, and that's infertility. You remember she'd been married 10 years without children before. She's infertile, and now it looks like she's infertile still. Now, you ladies in here understand this a whole lot more than I do, what a painful experience that is. And this is, this is not something we talk much about here at Landmark. We really should, because if you were to talk to enough people, this is a really big issue in our church. Nothing more frustrating, painful, or even embarrassing to many women than to be infertile. And here we got it. Ruth is infertile. But then we get comeback number three. God opens her womb, and she gives birth to a son. Now, what a story. Just like our stories. You know, you got your setbacks and comebacks and setbacks and comebacks. That's life. That's the way life is lived. But here's the constant in this beautiful story. The constant is God's faithfulness to this widow, even at times bitter widow, named Naomi. Now, we read this story, and it's really easy for us to read this story and see God, because we're reading in retrospect. And it was easy, even easy for Naomi to look back and say, my goodness, God was taking care of me. The challenge is when you're, when you're in the middle of it, when your husband dies and your kids die, and when everything's bitter and bad, I mean, you're thinking like Naomi, where in the world is God? So there's some great lessons for us to learn from this story. Because right now, maybe you're in the middle of a setback. What do you do when life keeps serving you setback after setback? Let me give you four things. Number one, beware of feeling God's against you. That's something we can learn from Naomi's life. Don't guard your heart, do guard your heart from bitterness. Number two, trust God to meet your needs. You see, now we can read the story and God was there the whole way. God cared enough to introduce this Ruth to Naomi, who just happened to need this mother figure. And Ruth is drawn to Naomi and follows her back to her home country. 
And it just happens that Ruth is introduced to Boaz, who just happens to be a very kind man, who just happens to be a very generous man, who just happens to be willing to marry her and take care of all of them. You see, we, we, we would read this and we go, it just happened. But the truth is it didn't just happen. It was God. So when you find yourself in the middle of that, that difficult time in your life, when you are having those setbacks, you know, you ever been through that time in life where it seems like every time you turn around, it's another setback? I mean, it's every time. And that's what's going on with these ladies. But in the midst of this, if we look close enough, we see God. And I challenge you, even right now, if you're in the middle of a setback in your life, don't focus too much on what's going wrong. Focus on how God is taking you through this, because you always see that. And number three, keep caring for people. You see, the best thing to happen to Naomi was Ruth, because despite the fact she had lost her husband and her children, she was able to pour herself into Ruth, to share her home, to share her nation, and even to share her faith. If you're down and depressed, the best thing you can do is pour yourself into somebody else. I just heard that upstairs. We're doing a class right now for our our seniors in high school and their parents, preparing them to go to college. And today we had a a panel of some of our college students, and they did a a marvelous job. And, And one question was about homesickness and how you overcome homesickness. And the answer they gave was so beautiful. It's like, don't stay in your dorm room and just feel sorry for yourself. Go find somebody and give yourself to them. That's true when you're a college student, and that's true when you're 50 or 60 or 80 years old. Find somebody that you can give yourself to. And number four, believe God has a greater purpose for your story. Believe that God, in the midst of this, there's a bigger story than a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law and a rich kinsman. There's a bigger story. And here's what Naomi learned. Naomi learned, it took her a long time, takes most of us a while. Naomi learned that life is not about you, but about God working in you. Listen to that again. Life is not about you. You will always be miserable when life is about you. Life is not about you. It's about God working in you. Say that with me. Life is not about you, but it's about God working in you. That's the big perspective, and that's what we so often miss in the middle of our setbacks. Well, I want this to become really real to you uh, this morning. So I've asked Barbara Bice if she had joined me on stage. This is one of these great comeback stories that we love to hear. And um, I really appreciate Barbara doing this. I know I've probably ruined her Mother's Day or her just being nervous. Don't shake your head, yes, that was mean. (laughs) Give me some comfort. Uh, but you're going to be so blessed to hear her story. Now, most of you know it's her husband, Ed, who heads up our Overcomers RSVP ministry that helps people with addictions. And over the last 18 years, Ed's probably been up here three or four times to tell his story. But we've never really heard it from Barbara's side. And today I want to hear it from Barbara's side. Because, as you know, Ed was addicted to cocaine. And it led to a series of setbacks and setbacks and setbacks. And in fact, you can express it better than any of us. What did you lose in the middle of all that? Um, You know, prior to Ed's addiction, I think that we had a a really good life together. 
Uh, we had a stable marriage. We'd been married about 21 years at that time. Uh, we had just uh, built what we considered to be our dream home out in the country. We were raising three sons. Um, we had good jobs. He owned his own company. And, uh, you know, life was good. But uh, as we know, uh, life can change on a dime. And so... Um, I always describe Ed's addiction as a tornado that tore through our lives and when the dust was settled there was nothing left because that's really just the only real way that I know how to describe it. Uh, we lost everything. We lost uh, all of our savings, all of our retirement, our kids' education money. Um, he lost his company so we lost our income, our main source of income. Um, they repossessed our cars. They foreclosed on our home. Uh, they literally auctioned our home off in the courthouse square. So we lost everything, you know. And But more than material things, you know, I lost uh, the man that I knew as my husband. You know, he was not the same. And I certainly lost all faith and all trust in him at that time. So did you become bitter? And if so, what did, how did you overcome that? If not, how did you keep from being bitter? Um, you know, I went through all kinds of emotions. I was heartbroken. I was devastated, and I was angry, and I did have uh, a lot of resentments. I remember when um, I was packing up the house to, to move because they were going to foreclose on it. There was something upstairs in a closet that I just could not bring myself um, to pack. So to my knowledge, when they uh, auctioned off our home, my wedding dress went with it. And so that just goes to show how angry I was at the time. But, you know, addiction can do an enormous amount of damage to a marriage and to a relationship. And, um, you know, Ed and I married at kids. I was just 17 years old. He's been the, uh, the love of my life all my life. And, um, and I wanted to forgive him. I tried to forgive him, but it was so hard. And um, but I knew that if I did not uh, forgive him, that our marriage was not going to make it. I knew that I was not going to make it if I did not forgive him. And I remember reading a quote from Nelson Mandela that said, as I walked out of my cell towards freedom, I knew that if I did not let go of all the anger and bitterness and resentment, that I would forever be in prison. And that was so powerful to me, and that was so true to me. And so I began to pray that God would change my heart, that he would give me a forgiving spirit, and that he would take away the pain, and that he would help me forget some stuff. And God did that for us. And it didn't happen overnight, but I fully forgave it, and I'm so grateful for that today. So a lot of setbacks. When did you finally know you've experienced that comeback we're talking about? You know, I said earlier, I always think of myself as a work in progress more than a comeback story, but the truth is, when I look at our marriage now and when I look at everything that we went through, um, it is a good comeback story. Uh, in fact, it came back better and stronger than it was even before Ed's addiction. That's just how God, you know, works in things. And um, when I look at our spiritual life, I, I know for certain that because we went through this, that we have a, a closer relationship and a stronger relationship with the Lord today. And, uh, 
when I look at Ed, I see an amazing comeback story. You know, he doesn't care if I stand up here and say all kinds of bad stuff about him, but when I start to talk good about him, he gets real nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us some bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, when I look at him, I see a miracle. Uh, I see a man who was once dying on drugs in a dirty motel room. I see a man who fell on his knees and begged God to take the obsession for drugs away. And I see a man who from that day forward has dedicated his life to the Lord and, and to helping others in recovery and in and out of recovery. I don't know of a greater servant than Ed. And he doesn't know I'm going to say this. He does now because he heard me say it in first service. But Tomorrow, he'll celebrate 23 years of sobriety. I, I, I knew that you were going to turn it in this direction and talk, to, talk about Ed. And Ed, Ed has an amazing ministry in this town. And, you know, if you are struggling with addictions or you know people... Our Wednesday night program is something you just need to refer people to or, or go to yourself if you need it. But I think what's the unsung hero in that ministry is Barbara. And, and I got to go in there last week and just the role she plays. And so, Barbara, I want you to talk a minute about how is God now able to, to use you because of the setbacks to help other people, even to play what I, I view as you play a mother figure role to so many people in the, that ministry. You know, I don't, think, <clears throat> I don't think you can come through something like this and it not change you. And, you know, I, I really think that this has changed me uh, and made a better person out of me. It's given me more understanding for people um, who go through similar situations. It's given me a lot more compassion. Um, you know, and I, I do look at people differently today than I used to. I see people differently. I remember years ago, Ed and I were leaving this church, and as we were pulling out of the parking lot, uh, I happened to notice this well-dressed couple walking down the sidewalk, and I tried not to stare as we went by, but something about them caught my eye, and so I looked at them, and when we passed by, I turned to Ed, and I said, I believe that man is an alcoholic. And he quickly looked in the rearview mirror and he said, how in the world can you tell? And I said, because I looked at his wife and I saw it on her face and I saw it in her eyes. And I've seen that same look many times on the faces of wives and family and friends and mothers. And uh, I've been that look many times over the years. It's a look of desperation. It's a look of hopelessness. And, um, we met that couple later and learned that my assumption was right. And to this day, I'm dear friends with that woman, and we've been able to encourage one another and help one another over the years. But I told Buddy earlier, I said, I never really thought of myself as a mother figure to these women. But I will tell you this, that I've had um, the opportunity and the privilege uh, to mentor to and to encourage uh, and to pray with many, many women whose shoes I've walked in and who's walked in my shoes. You become kind of like a kindred spirit to, to each other. And um, 
you know, I'm not doing anything special. I'm just passing down that um, hope and strength and experience that someone passed down to me, you know, when I needed it. And so I'm just trying to pay it forward. But I know that every time I do that, every time I have a chance to, to talk to a woman uh, who is going through a difficult situation as I've been through, I come away, you know, feeling blessed. And I remember early on, I used to think, you know, there has to be a reason, you know, why we've gone through this. And I used to try to analyze it. And sometimes after I would talk to a woman, I would pray and I would say, is she the one, Lord? You know, is she the one that you wanted me to reach? And uh, because I do believe we go through things for a reason. And you know, I just have to say to God, be the glory for all of it. Because it's not a story about me, and it's not a story about Ed. It's a story about what God did in our lives, and how he rescued us, and how he does give back what the locust eats. And he's done that in our lives. And so to God, be the glory for all of it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, what a story. Let's, let's conclude our story with Ruth and Naomi. The end of the book closes this way, and, and just watch it because it's a little bit unusual the way it closes. Verse 13, chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, just what Barbara said, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Unusual clothes. Ruth has the baby. But the book closes with Naomi holding the baby. Because the book of Ruth, in my estimation, is really the story of Naomi. It's about a woman who experiences death, who's renewed in life. About someone who's been bitter, who becomes full of joy. Who's someone who is empty, who is now holding this baby in full. And did you notice verse 17? Probably the most important verse of the whole Bible. Here's the deal. The baby's name is what? Obed, who will be the father of who? Jesse, who will be the father of guess who? David, who will be the great, 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 great grandfather of who? Jesus, who will change guess whose life? Our life. It's like every story in the Bible and every one of our stories, all roads lead back to Jesus. And even this old ancient story leads to our salvation in Jesus Christ. That the reason we can all have comeback stories is because Jesus had the ultimate comeback story. The story is bigger than a sweet mother-in-law, a nice daughter-in-law, a very generous relative, and even about a baby in her arms. It's a story about God's eternal purposes. 
So let's close out with our first quotation. The life of a godly person is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. Naomi did, and so can you. Why? Because of Jesus. So today we're about to go to the tables. The tables are in the middle and the tables in the back. And we're going to remember Jesus because he is in the middle of all of our stories. But also we want to celebrate our own comeback stories. And so as Andy mentioned to you earlier, we want you to take your card. If you hadn't written one, we're going to be singing a couple songs. Stop and write it. You can come to the cross first and then the table. Go to the table first. But what I want you to do is just come up here and just, just pin your story to this cross and join all of these stories from first service. And again, your comeback story may involve a terrible setback that God has brought you back from. It may involve the legacy of your mom today. Maybe you're even a person that you're in the middle of a setback today, and what you need to bring to the cross is a request to Jesus that he will take your setback and make it into a comeback. So let's go to the table, and let's come to the cross. And let's keep telling these awesome comeback stories. Father, we thank you that we could be in this place today to hear the comeback story of Ruth and Naomi and Barbara. And Father, we pray on this day that, God, we can share our comeback stories, that people be to read these, whether we want to put our name on these or not, that people be to read these these next few weeks out in the lobby. And Lord, as we go to the table, May we be reminded that the only reason we can come back from the very worst that life has to offer, death, is because of Jesus. So as we take of the body and the cup, God, help us to remember Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.